This talk was given by Robert Roxon Ritchie at the Zen Center of New York City. Roxon is a senior monastic in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about our retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Um, <clears throat> thank you for uh, making friends with the rain and coming to practice. Um, sometimes um, when you are asked to give a talk um, it feels like you've been overwhelmed by an avalanche Uh, so many eyes and uh, ears looking and listening so intently and expectantly you want to offer something useful something that will feed Um, all of these beautiful, hungry hearts um, leaning forward. And you know that somewhere, somehow, either directly or indirectly, your teacher is listening. It is a bit daunting, um, but it is good practice. It does focus the mind. So today, I'd like to take up a poem, a song that has forever been a treasure and a teaching for me that I hope will speak to you too. It's called Avalanche, and it goes like this. Well, I stepped into an avalanche. It covered up my soul. When I am not this hunchback that you see, I sleep beneath a golden hill. You who wish to conquer pain, you must learn, learn to serve me well. You strike my side by accident as you go down for your gold. The cripple here that you clothe and feed is neither starved nor cold. He does not ask for your company, not at the center, the center of the world. When I am on a pedestal, you did not raise me there. Your laws do not compel me to kneel grotesque and bare. I myself am the pedestal for this ugly hump at which you stare. You who wish to conquer pain, you must learn what makes me kind. The crumbs of love that you offer me, they're the crumbs I've left behind. Your pain is no credential here. It's just the shadow, the shadow of my wound. I have begun to long for you. I, who have no greed. I have begun to ask for you. I, who have no need. You say, You've gone away from me, but I can feel you when you breathe. Do not dress in those rags for me. I know you are not poor. Don't love me quite so fiercely now when you know you are not sure. It is your turn, beloved. It is your flesh that I wear. 
You um, may know this song by Leonard Cohen. If you know his work at all, you have heard his dark and gothic voice. It can penetrate into your being in a most intimate way. As he often does, Cohen has called us into his consciousness and has begun to talk to himself. This song presumes a certain proximity, uh, a certain closeness, as though the voice, the speaker, would happen. My, my sound is going crazy. Okay. So this song presumes a certain proximity, a certain closeness, as though the voice, the speaker, is very near, somehow inside, in some kind of spooky auditory hallucination. Have you ever heard voices like this? It's not unlike a rhetorical technique or a syllogism that Aristotle called the enthymeme. He said that if you want to persuade somebody of something, you might develop an argument based on an idea or thought or an experience that you know is already common to your audience, but is not stated explicitly. It's an unstated second premise. Your audience will then more easily agree with you because it seems like what you are saying arises out of themselves. Cohen likes to get inside. But it may be just a simple universal truth. Mind is one essence. So something like this may be what um, made television so addicting. Remember television? (laughs) Um, You know, the picture on a TV was never fully formed. A cathode ray gun sent a stream of electrons inside the picture tube toward the fluorescent screen on the front to produce a spot of light that that you could see on the other side. It was called electroluminescence. Then, very quickly, it moved right to left and back and forth and down the screen to create the lines of light and the images and the action that we recognized. But the complete image was never there altogether. At any one instant, there was just this one little spot zooming around back and forth across the screen. The image we thought we saw was actually intimately composed only in our minds at dazzling speeds we could not comprehend. Nowadays, the refresh rate of images on our flat screens is much faster. But as you have probably noticed, the addictive quality of the mentally composed images is just as strong. It's not too different from State Street. We are the ones who put it all together. So in this song, Cohen gets inside like this. The voice starts talking to you directly as though they have always known you 
as though you have always known them, using pronouns, you and I. But at various points, the antecedents for those pronouns switch and change and expand and contract, not unlike our pronouns today. Sometimes you don't know who or what he is referring to. Cohen seems to like it like that. He invites us into the mystery using layered metaphors and conceits of an avalanche, a hunchback, a cripple in rags, and a commanding voice from the clouds or from deep inside our own hearts to evoke a love affair between a spiritual seeker and the personified truth that they seek. The first lines say, well, I stepped into an avalanche. It covered up my soul. Yes, yes, it, I, it does seem I entered life like that. Remember? Suddenly, something live and aware came into form, kicking and gurgling and crying and hungry and pissing and pooping and covered in flesh, cute as a baby. (laughs) Suddenly, something live and aware stepped into an avalanche of corporeality, and something live and aware was covered, buried under this avalanche of karma, of form, of flesh, a kind of blindness moving from one bardo to another. Was this your experience? What is your first memory way back then? James Joyce begins Portrait of the Artist as a young man with paragraphs of first memories. Once upon a time, and a very good time it was, there was a moo cow coming along the road, and this moo cow that was coming along along the road met a nicens little boy named Baby Tucku. His father told him this story. His father looked at him through a glass. He had a hairy face. He was Baby Tucku. The moo cow came down the road where Betty Byrne lived. She sold lemon plat. Oh. The wild rose blossoms on the little green place. He sang that song. That was his song. Oh, the green rose blossoms. When you wet the bed, first it's warm, then it gets cold. His mother put on the oil sheet. That had the queer smell. His mother had a nicer smell than his father. She played on the piano the sailor's hornpipe for him to dance. He danced. Tra-la-la-la, tra-la-la-la-dee, tra-la-la-la, tra-la-la-la-la-la. A dancing avalanche. The next lines in the song say, When I am not this hunchback that you see, I sleep beneath the golden hill. With his deep, funereal voice, Cohen 
asserts a first person, an I with the form of a human being with a hunchback, who then disappears and becomes something else elsewhere. We seem to be dealing with a shapeshifter. What is this? In another song, Cohen says, You know who I am. You've stared at the sun. Well, I am the one who loves changing from nothing to one. It seems the voice is impersonating the Buddhist teaching about form, the hunchback, and formlessness, something beneath the golden hill, the relative and the absolute. The hunchback form he chooses sleeps beneath the golden hill, not just any hill, but a golden hill, and not just any golden hill, but the golden hill. Clearly, this golden hill is meant to express a special place. There are many temples and monasteries in the Asian world that have been named, and probably somewhere else too, uh, that have been named or located on the golden hill. It might be the hill of flesh on the hunchback's back itself, but perhaps when this eye is not this appearance with the hump that you see, he abides beneath someplace golden, someplace exalted, a holy, formless place, perhaps. What can such an eye be who can take form and realize formlessness? What is this eye we ourselves are? The Buddha, uh, the Buddha studied his reality, studied his mind in a most deep and intensive way 2,505 years ago and looked for this I, this self. But as hard as he looked, he could not find it. We look into our minds when we all sit zazen, What do we see? The next lines of the song say, You who wish to conquer pain, you must learn, learn to serve me well. So now Cohen uh, Cohen is directly talking to us. He says, Hey, you, yes, you, you, the one sitting there in the middle of your difficult life. You who have finally come to a place in your life where you have stopped and turned around and have begun to ask, what is this? Why must I suffer like this? Why must everyone around me suffer? These are questions that bring students to their knees. They bring students into temples and churches and other wildernesses around the world looking for answers or something like them. The song says, well, 
if you really want to overcome suffering, to conquer pain, you must learn, learn to serve me well. But who is this me, this voice, the voice that is acting, asking us to serve? In his Christian phase, Bob Dylan produced a great song called Gotta Serve Somebody. Maybe you know it. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialist, a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Serving can be just the simple act of putting a plate down before somebody. But serving as a practice is deeply profound. It goes on forever. But initially, and in a certain sense essentially, it is just to direct our attention outward towards someone or something else to select something in our experience and give it our awareness, to attend to it, to serve it. What we attend to, what we feed with our awareness makes all the difference. We become what we serve. So if you attend to the screen, you serve the screen. If you attend to the sutra, you feed the sutra. What you feed will grow strong and powerful in your life and influence your path. What you do not feed will drop away. It's a powerful, very effective formula. The voice in the song says, if you wish to conquer pain, you must learn to serve me well. This is presented as an imperative. You must do this if you are seriously investigating the questions of existence. This was the Buddha's imperative. We in this hall know this imperative too. We decided to come here today to serve this, to turn our attention to the questions of life and death, to conquer pain. But who is the me that the voice says you must serve, you must learn to serve? Where is he or she or they or it? Are they in the hunchback or under the golden hill today? That is the question. In the seniors' retreat at the monastery last weekend, we looked at a passage from the Vimalakirti Sutra, the consolation of the invalid. The venerable Vimalakirti is sick. Thousands of bodhisattvas and Buddhas come to visit him. These guys know how to get into a small bedroom. Anyway, at some point, Manjushri asks the great Vimalakirti, Noble sir, 
How should a sick bodhisattva control their mind? Vimala, Vimala Kurti replied, Manjushri, a sick bodhisattva. Here, I think he's referring to the sickness due to samsara, suffering, the sickness due to suffering. Manjushri, a sick, uh, sick bodhisattva, should control their own mind with the following consideration. Vimlakirti says, sickness arises from total involvement and the process of misunderstanding from beginningless time. It arises from the passions that result from unreal mental uh, constructions. And hence, ultimately, nothing is perceived which can be said to be sick. Why? The body is the issue of the four main elements, earth, air, fire, water. And in the elements, there is no owner and no agent. There is no self in this body. And except for arbitrary insistence on self, ultimately, no I, which can be said to be sick, can be apprehended. Therefore, thinking, I should not adhere to any self, and I should rest in the knowledge of the root of illness, these bodhisattvas should abandon the conception of themselves as a personality and produce the conception of themselves as a thing. Thinking, this body is an aggregate of many things. When it is born, only things are born. When it ceases, only things cease. When things have no awareness, these things have no awareness or feeling of each other. When they are born, they do not think, I am born. When they cease, they do not think, I cease. Even a hunchback's body is an aggregate of many things. These are considerations that would absolve the tensions in this song. But Leonard keeps singing. You strike my side by accident as you go down for your gold. The cripple here that you clothe and feed is neither starved nor cold. He does not ask for your company, not at the center, the center of the world. So we are being directly addressed again and are accused of striking the side of the spectral presence, the voice in the clouds, the world, as we choose greed and go down for our gold. Striking the side is an oblique reference, I think, to the soldier who struck Jesus' side when he was up on the cross with his spear. This is another way in which Cohen associates the voice speaking to us with the Holy One. But I don't think he's concerned whether this Holy One is Christian, Jewish, or Buddhist, or just our own true nature. Going down for our gold, we know that if it is not right livelihood, 
if we are not paying close attention to how our work energy, our money energy, our gold energy is directed, we may be going down and perpetuating systems of oppression and cruelty that exacerbate suffering and desecrate the natural world. But now the cripple inhabits the cripple, I mean, excuse me, but now the voice inhabits the cripple here, the body, your body, that you clothe and feed every day. He says, the true nature of this cripple or hunchback or whatever particular form of human being you may have brought with you today is neither starved nor cold. This true being is not concerned with their own physical comfort and they are not lonely. They do not ask for your company or anyone else's company, not in this place of silence and stillness, not here at the center of the world, not here where they are not separate from anyone or anything, not here where they are you, yourself, reaching for a bagel or tugging on a zipper. Now, the voice says, when I am on a pedestal, you did not raise me there. Your laws do not compel me to kneel grotesque and bare. I myself am the pedestal for this ugly hump at which you stare. A pedestal is a foundation, a stand, an altar, an understructure. You might put Abraham Lincoln or a Buddha on it. But the voice speaking out of the cloud of unknowing says, I myself am the pedestal. I myself am the foundation. I myself am the true nature underneath this fleshly hump, this fleshly hump at which you stare. What is this? What is fundamental? What is this living, talking moment? Leonard sings, You who wish to conquer pain, you must learn what makes me kind. The crumbs of love that you offer me are the crumbs I've left behind. Your pain is no credential here. It's just the shadow, the shadow of my wound. So earlier in the song, we were told that if we wanted to conquer pain or suffering, we must learn to serve. Now we are told that if we want to conquer pain, we must learn kindness. We are told that we must study this deeply and not be satisfied by offering just the crumbs of love. We must approach 
the source of love, and realize the heart of being. We can make excuses that it is too much, or too hard, or too painful. But the voice that is our own true self knows and does not believe our story. We have been exposed. Our tiny tiny pains are so small against the misery of the world. Just a shadow. But now the voice turns to us personally and says, I have begun to long for you. I who have no greed. I have begun to ask for you. I who have no need. This is bodhicitta, the voice of our aspiration. It is a vocation, a calling to liberation, to the liberation of all beings. The same calling that brought us here today. We call ourselves. And we are called by the one who has no greed, no need. Somehow, we know this one. Somehow, we hear this call. But we do not always bow and serve it. In another one of his songs, Ain't No Cure for Love, Cohen says, I call to you. I call to you. But I don't call soft enough. Now in this song, in his best and most mysterious baritone, Leonard the Ventriloquist becomes the voice of God that says, you, you say you've gone away from me, but I can feel you when you breathe. When I first heard those words, I felt a little uneasy, like I had left a a door open and someone was in the house, maybe in the hall, maybe just behind me, maybe even closer. The voice continues with its commands says, do not dress in those rags for me. I know you are not poor. Don't love me quite so fiercely now when you know that you are not sure. Here is the pilgrim on their way, seeking true intimacy with the Dharma, but somewhat awkward in their approach. They wear rags to try to realize true poverty, but the voice says they are not poor. They make all kinds of expressions of their fervor and commitment to practice, but the voice knows they are not sure. 
These are the counsels of a spiritual mentor. Our pilgrim, our seeker, ourself wants so much to come in close, but we keep missing the mark. This is why we need teachers to help us, to show us how to practice, and why we need faith in the Dharma and courage to persevere even when, especially when, we are not sure. Now, the voice of the song steps back and asks us to step forward and says, It is your turn, beloved. It is your flesh that I wear. Here, finally, is the conclusion to all of it. The final challenge. The first and last barrier. The most acute intimacy. It is indeed our turn, noble friends, to realize the Dharma and to bring it to this aching world. It is our turn to meet someone, anyone, and look them in the eye and listen. It is our turn to study the structures and the habits of oppression that exist in the world and in ourselves and choose to live in harmony. It is our turn to smile on the subway, to serve all sentient beings and insentient beings, including the polar bear, the desert tortoise, the Everglades, the Dead Sea. To see desire in all its forms, gross and subtle, and release our lives from its dominance. To look closely at the dharmas, all of them, and learn what they can teach. It is our turn, beloved bodhisattvas, to follow the Buddha's way and to do what must be done. Thanks for listening. You can find more Dharma Talks, interviews, and events at zmm.org media. While online, please check out the Jizo Project, our multifaceted initiative to make Zen Mountain Monastery more accessible and welcoming to all. Learn about the new Jizo House building and accessibility enhancements to existing facilities that are just two aspects to this exciting endeavor. Find out more and see how you can get involved at zmm.org slash Jizo Project. That's J-I-Z-O-P-R-O. J-E-C-T.